Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Great expectations. What is expected of church members? What is expected? Well, we're expected to show up and participate in worship. We are expected to have realistic expectations of each other, not expecting too little, but not expecting too much of each other. And it is expected that we be on board with the mission, the vision, the purpose to which God has called us as a church. That's the series. And tonight we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. The Gospel of Mark chapter 3. title of this message is Get Small and Grow Big. Get Small and Grow Big. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, thanking you again for the blessing of reading your word and for the blessing of assembling with people we care deeply about and worshiping with them. Lord, we take your word seriously, and I pray that you'd help us to reach into this text and pull out from that text the things that you are saying in it. And Lord, I pray that what you say to us from within that text will be something that we will take and chew on and that will not simply just end the moment we walk out these doors later tonight. But I pray, Lord, that we will live with these words over the next several days and even weeks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it was new, brand new. I have noticed something about church folks, and this is not just church folks of today, but this has been true of church folks since not too long after Jesus created the church to begin with. What I have noticed about church folks is we don't much like new. But this was new, and it was earth-shaking, and there were lots of people who were against it. They were strongly against it. And they had good reason. You couldn't find it in the Scriptures. And that alone was enough for many folks to be against it. Second, it originated out of England. And for folks in uh, the colonies, uh, 
separation from England was still raw enough that anything that came out of England was enough reason to oppose it. And if those two things, not being in the Bible and, and coming out of England, the, the quote mother country, weren't enough to cause any good Christian to be against it, then you could also come back with the argument that Jesus never attended one. Now those three things ought to make any good American Christian be opposed to this newfangled thing. In fact, it ought to have had its coffin nailed shut with those three reasons. But, in fact, it did not die. Not only did it not die, but it thrived. It spread like wildfire all over Europe, especially England. And then when the, the uh, pioneers and, and frontiersmen left England for the New World, it caught on in the New World and it spread through the United States. So much so, so much so, that any church you visit in the United States today that is more than 30 years old, you will find one of these. You know what it was? Sunday school. Jesus never attended Sunday school. There is no Sunday school. You can look up in the finest concordance you've got. Sunday school is not in the scriptures, not the term Sunday school. And not only that, it was started in England by a fellow by the name of Robert Rakes, R-A-I-K-E-S. Robert Rakes lived from 1725 to 1811. He was the key founder and promoter of the Sunday school movement. You know how Sunday school started? It started because in the, uh, in the years when, when uh, industry, steam industry in particular, was first, starting to, was first invented, starting to get off the ground, children had no place to go on the weekend. And they were sent to work during the week. And so there were some folks who got together and thought, you know, we ought to take these poor children who are being worked too, too much, too long hours. They didn't have labor laws against overworking children, let alone uh, adults, let alone children. And, and there were some folks said, let's take Sunday, which is the best day to do this, and let's provide a place where we can teach literature to children. And that's how Sunday school started. Churches picked up on it. And they said, man, this is not only a good place for literature, but it's a good place to teach these children about Jesus. And not too long after that, there were some adults who said, you know what? Not only do the children need this time, but we adults need a little bit of time in the Bible ourselves. It was slow to catch on. In fact, all of the churches in Georgia, including the good Baptist churches, they, they most of them during the, all the 1800s did not have Sunday school, did not have Sunday school. And yet, it thrived. Well, today, there is another new movement. And like Sunday school was in the late 1700s and the early 1800s in Europe and later in the United States, this new movement is also earth-shaking. It is taking our country by storm. It's a bit of a surprise. 
Although, if you look at the history of it, I'm not so sure that it ought to be a surprise to us. But this new movement is the movement within churches that is basically small groups. Now, unlike Sunday school, Jesus actually attended small groups. And unlike the term Sunday school, small groups are throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus himself was the, uh, the, the, the example of a leader of small groups. I mentioned, I think I mentioned this morning or sometime, that nine out of ten churches in America is either plateaued or declining. Nine out of ten. Tom Rayner, president of Lifeway Christian Resources, which is a Southern Baptist uh, uh, Bible curriculum agency, used to be the Sunday School Board, Tom Rayner said that that there are very, very few churches at all that are growing at a faster rate than the communities in which they are located. We're in a crisis in our nation, and our nation is supposed to be, among all nations where Christianity has any influence at all, our nation is supposed to be the one where it is of the highest influence. Actually, Christianity is growing at a much more rapid pace in Africa than it is in America. Nine out of ten of our churches are plateaued or declining. The one out of ten churches in our country that are growing, over 90% of those are growing on the basis of small groups. In fact, among the, if you were to look at the top 100 fastest growing Christian churches in America, almost all of them are growing through the use of small groups. Evangelist Robert Raines said at a conference in Germany on church growth, he said small groups are, quote, the strategy for our time, meaning the strategy for uh, church, for growing churches. Now, you and I all know that Jesus preached to as many as 5,000 people or more at any one given time, and he did this on a number of occasions, not just when he was feeding the 5,000 plus with, with uh, 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 five loaves and, and two fish, but there were other times when he preached to crowds of many thousands. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 was more than likely preached to a crowd of multiple thousands. In Luke that same sermon is broken up into like a series that is scattered throughout his gospel, no doubt preached to many, many thousands all at the same time. So Jesus preached to large numbers of people. But when Jesus started out his ministry, he didn't start out with the 5,000 or the 8,000 or the 10,000. He started out with a small group of very unlikely men. Nobody in this world, in their right mind, would have chosen the 12 men that Jesus chose. To start out his ministry. They had no theological education. They had uh, no uh, regular attendance pins from being in uh, the synagogue on a regular basis. They were fishermen. They weren't the most soap-mouthed men in the world. And yet Jesus chose them. And even within that small group of 12, he chose a more intimate group of three. That he spent even 
more time with. Jesus believed in small groups, and if Jesus did, so should we. I want to share with you some reasons why our church is now experimenting even more than we already have been with the concept of small groups. Now, this church has been a part of, has been utilizing small groups for a long time. Sunday school classes are small groups. Choirs, handbell groups are small groups. Uh, the youth group is a smaller group from the corporate church that is then, Trevor breaks them up into even smaller groups. And Renee does the same thing with our children's ministry. So small groups is not something that's new to Palmetto Baptist Church. But home groups are. Home groups are new. And we're experimenting with home groups not to replace our Sunday school. I'm a big supporter of Sunday school. And not to replace our choirs and and our handbells and our youth subgroups and our children's subgroups. But we are experimenting with home groups for one single reason. And that is that home groups are the defining characteristic of the growingest churches in the United States of America today. Many years ago, I was approached, uh, contacted by a church. It's been not recently, but many years ago, contacted by a church about the possibility of coming to be their pastor. And they sent a questionnaire. One of the, one of the uh, questions on the questionnaire is, what is your philosophy of ministry? How, would you, how do you look at growing a church? And I, the answer I gave them evidently ruled me out. Because here's what I said. I said, well, uh, you... Whenever I go into a place to pastor, one of the first things I do is spend a good uh, three or four years just trying to get to know the people. You got to know the people before you can do anything with, through, or for the people. You got to know the people. And then I said, the next thing I want to do during the time that I'm getting to know people, I want to find out what is working in churches nationwide and what is working in churches in the local uh, area where I'm serving. I want to know what's working. And if at all possible, see if we can apply what's working elsewhere to what we're doing in the church where I'm serving. Some of the things that work elsewhere will not work in other churches. I've found that to be true. Some people, uh, several years ago when uh, Pastor Johnny Hunt went to the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, and they were doing certain things, and all of a sudden everybody flocked to have their conferences at First Baptist Woodstock because they said, hey, what's, what, you're, what he's doing there, you need to apply in the place where you are. Well, I will tell you that most of the things that Johnny Hunt uh, incorporates at the First Baptist Church Woodstock don't work at Palmetto Baptist Church, but some of them do. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California. Bill Hybels at Willow Creek Community Church uh, just outside of Chicago. Mega churches, mega churches. And people started looking at what they did and said, oh, you need to take what they're doing and apply it to your church. There are pastors who've been fired for taking what they do and applying it to their church. Some of it works and some of it does not But one thing that does work nationwide in the growingest churches in America is this. They have a a strong, small group program. And it's thriving. 
And, and I've learned this much from studying churches nationwide and also looking at the fastest growing churches in the Coweta, South Fulton, and Fayette area. If we want to grow the way I think God wants for us to grow, we, we will have to at least experiment, if not thrive, in this issue of small groups. So let me tell you some reasons why I believe that we should be a part and are a part of small groups. First of all, being part of a small group shows commitment on your part. It shows commitment on your part. Kevin Darty is a sociology professor and a researcher for Baylor University, which is a Baptist school in Texas. And he did a study that evaluated the impact of small group ministry on the overall health and success of churches. And he said this, he says, in order to have lasting value to a church... You must have small groups, and those small groups must meet with regularity. They must promote a sense of trust and open discussion, and they must provide support during the difficult moments in members' lives. And then he said this, and this is what I want you to get with this point. In fact, he said, small groups increase the commitment level of their members, and highly committed members contribute to the overall strength and veracity of a church. Being a part of a small group in our church says something about the commitment level of you and me. I've said before, I'm not sure everybody always understood what I I said, but I said this. uh, In in, in most Baptist churches, you have a membership total. In our church, it's somewhere around 900 members. I wish we knew where all of them were. About half of those in in the typical Baptist church will attend worship on a, uh, some sort of semi-regular basis. And then about half of that number attend uh, Sunday school. Now, in our church, I've noticed that we run right now somewhere around 300 to 310 on average in worship. We run about 215 or 20, I think, in Sunday school, which means on any, average, on any given Sunday, there are about somewhere between 80 and 90 folks who come here to worship who don't attend a Sunday school class. On average, 80 to 90. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of folks. Now, some of those folks are visitors who are are guests of ours. They come and they're visiting with us. But there are some people who have been coming to this church for uh, a long, long time, long being two to three years plus, who only come to worship. They're not a part of a Sunday school class. They're not a part of Christmas choir. They're not a part of the praise band. They're not a part, uh, their kids are not part of the children's ministry or the student ministry. And, And here's what I've always said about people who only attend worship. They have nine of their ten toes outside that door and only one of their ten toes inside this door. They're barely here. The more small groups people are a part of in the church, the more committed they are to that church, the more likely they are to stay put in our church. Being a part of a small group shows commitment on our part. Second, being part of a small group builds relationships within the church. Builds relationships within the church. Uh, I don't know of any church leader who doesn't want to see his or her church grow, not only spiritually, but numerically. 
But I've also never seen a church that didn't have a few people who said, I just really don't want our church to grow. Because if our church grows, we're not going to know everybody. And we want to know everybody. Some of us in our church, uh, and after last Sunday, a lot of people have come to us saying, you know, we'd like for us to be together in one service. And, and so would I. And we're, we're discussing that among the staff. And, and uh, uh, so that, that may be a possibility. I don't know. But we've had people come to us over the, several, over the past several years and say, we'd like for everybody to be together because, because I don't know everybody anymore. I don't know anybody anymore. I remember back when we had two Sunday schools which, by the way, was uh, 2006, 7, and 8. It was during the time when we had the highest average attendance in worship and the highest average attendance in Sunday school when we had dual Sunday schools, as well as dual worship services. I've kept track of all that monthly average stuff. But anyway, where was I going with that? What? All of us together. When we went from two Sunday schools to one Sunday school, when we announced that we were going to do that, and the reason we did that is because we were burning people out, because we were doing uh, several different things, including two Sunday schools, and we did that dual Sunday school thing wrong. That's another, another whole story. But anyway, when we, moved, when we announced that we were going to move back to one Sunday school, I had somebody come to me and say, well, I'm certainly glad that, that, that we're going to do that because I, we want to get everybody back together. Only problem was when we went to one back from two Sunday schools to one Sunday school, his Sunday school class stayed exactly the same number after we came together that we that we were that it was before we brought the two Sunday schools back together. Here's the deal. Rick Warren said this. He, he wrote an article called Four Practical Reasons for Small Groups. And he said this. He says small groups are relational. He said, you can't have a conversation with 600 people. Anybody here ever had a conversation with 600 people? He says, you can't have a conversation with 60 people, but you can have a conversation with six people. He says, I hear some people say sometimes they don't want our church to grow because if it grows, then we won't know everyone. He says, studies show that the average person, get this, the studies show that the average person only knows about 67 People And you don't talk with all those at the same time. That's just about all the people you know. And then he said this, Rick Warren, he says, small groups allow you to know people regardless of how big the congregation becomes. You hear that? And then he says this, this is such a great statement. I wish I had said it, but I didn't. He did. He said this, he says, you don't have to know everyone in the church as long as you know someone in the church. That is a great statement. I don't have to know, well, as a pastor, I need to know more of the people in the church than perhaps that you do. But even I don't have to know everybody. You don't have to know everybody in the church as long as you know somebody in the church that you can have a relationship, a trust relationship with. Number three, being part of a small group deepens your understanding of God's word. I appreciate y'all coming here to listen to me preach. And I've listened to myself preach. I've listened to audio that's on the Internet. I've watched videos. I can't sit through them. Y'all are better than I am. I don't know what you've got. I can't do it. I know it. It's it's terrible. But I appreciate y'all for doing it. But I know how it is to sit and you're listening to a sermon. Even if you're looking at me, your mind, it flows in and out. Some of you are thinking about 
what you ate for lunch this, this afternoon because it wasn't too good and it's still kind of talking to you. So you're thinking about that. Some of you are thinking, you know, I'm missing that new series that starts tonight on the television. Some of you are excited about the Braves. I know how it is. Some of you are thinking about your families and what's going on in your family's life. And you're not really listening to me. I'm not criticizing you for it. I know that's just the way it is. You float in and out. But I'll tell you what, if you're in a small group of 6, 8, 10, even 12 people, and it's a discussion group, you might check out, but you might get embarrassed for doing so because you might get asked a question. I'll tell you what I found when I'm in a small group, and I was in one of our small groups last week. It was homecoming, so we didn't have evening worship. I attended, Amanda and I attended one of the PBC home groups, and I'll tell you right now, I was listening to what those folks were saying. Because I know how you folks are when the preacher's in a small group. But preacher, what do you think? I know you are, so I'm listening. I'm paying attention. Here's what John R.W. Stott said. He's an Anglican theologian, passed away a year before last. He says, I do not think it is an exaggeration to say that small groups are indispensable for spiritual growth, for growth into spiritual maturity. You learn more in a small group. When you're studying the scriptures, when you're discussing them, you learn more. You folks who are in your Sunday school classes and in a small group of your own, you know for a fact that you learn more in that Sunday school class than you'll ever learn from me in a sermon, and that's the way it ought to be. Number four, being part of a small group provides an arena for service. Provides an arena for service. I love the Gospel of Luke. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Luke chapter 10 Jesus has pulled together some small groups. He's pulled together a group of over 70 people, and he sends them out in small groups. You know what what size the groups were? Twos. Groups of two. Now, that's too small to have uh, the small groups like a PBC home groups. But here's the point. Chapter 10, verse 1, he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Verse 3, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And then he goes on and on talking about what they're to do. Well, they go out. And they spend some period of time ministering, and these groups of, of two come back. And in verse 17, says this, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I know, I saw Satan fall like lightning while you were gone. What were they doing? They were serving. Small groups provides an arena for service that we don't have uh, in other Areas, the guys on buildings and grounds. That's a small group that does tremendous amount of service. Most of our church has no idea the kind of work that group of, uh, that group of amigos does on behalf of our church. Being a small group provides an arena for service. Number five, being a small group opens up a neglected avenue to reach the unchurched. It opens up a neglected avenue to reach the unchurched. You've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again. 50 to 60 years ago, the first place anybody was exposed to a church like ours was not in worship, it was in a Sunday school class. 
There was a period of time when Sunday school attendance outpaced worship attendance at every Baptist church in the United States of America about 50 to 60 years ago. Then it changed. Somewhere around 40 years ago or so, the front door, which is, is the term I use uh, for the first place people are exposed to your church, the front, the front door went from Sunday school to the worship service. And what happened there was, for decades, even now in some churches, the worship service attendance is always going to average higher than the Sunday school attendance because if guests are going to come to your church, the first place they're going to come is worship. And it's been that way for about 40 years. But that's changing. Now things are a whole lot more challenging, a whole lot more complex. And here's what I'm talking about. Now there is a trend that is growing in in a, a massive way. The front door is no longer Sunday school, and now the front door is no longer our worship service. The front door now, the first place that most people are exposed to our church, is not even on these premises at all. It's on the ball field where our grandkids are playing ball, or it's at the uh, it, it's at the our, our homes when we invite a neighbor over to dinner. Because people aren't going to come to our church. Do you know what most people think about this building and any other Baptist church building or Methodist building when they drive by it? You know what they think about it if they're unchurched? I'll tell you exactly how it feels. You ever, you ever drive down 29 toward Noonan and you go past the uh, Mormon church building? How many of you do that? Do you? Hello? How many of you have ever been in it, in that building? Aren't you a little bit afraid? Number one, you probably don't want to go in there, but even if you thought about going in there, aren't you a little bit afraid of what they're doing in there? Huh? Or if you go by Kingdom Hall, a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall, I've never been in one. I don't want to go in one. I'll tell you, I'm not going to go in one, number one, because I don't want to, number two, because I'm afraid of what they might be doing in there. Aren't you? Guess what? The majority of people, 70% of the population of Georgia, are unchurched. And what that means is, when they pass by this building that's called Palmetto Baptist Church, they look at it and view it in the same, with the same suspicion that you and I do the Mormon church building and that we do the Kingdom Hall building for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Guess what? They're not going to come here unless they know you first. Most people who come here are not going to come here unless they know you first. Now, there are going to be some exceptions, but most people are not. Now, where are they going to know you from? They're going to know you from work or school or at the playground or at the fitness center or they live in your subdivision or whatever. The front door is no longer here. It's there. It's out there. And small groups, which meet where? The new home groups meet out there. Home groups provide a neglected avenue to reach the unchurched. And finally, being a part of a small group. Ladies and gentlemen, just throw out the other reasons, okay? Here's, here's, here's the best reason. It follows the example of Jesus. Jesus is the greatest small group leader in the history of the universe. He gave the template. And if he saw it, as his preferred method for growing his church, then you and I ought to at least taste it. 
and we ought to at least try it. Our church folks are expected to connect to a small group within this church. It can be Sunday school, and Claiborne James is doing a great job of building up our Sunday school right now. He's leading a small group, home group over at Jerry and Susan Watson's. But he's doing a great job. Our Sunday school is going to grow. Our choirs are going to grow. Our youth group and our children's ministry is already growing. We've got to translate those kind of things into our worship and, Sunday and our, our worship attendance and, and the overall active involvement in our church. But here's the point. We expect each other to be a part of a small group, whether it's Sunday school class or a home group or the choir or what have you. We're experimenting with these three PBC home groups through December. We purposely started out small. The beginning of January, we're going to evaluate those, see how well they went. We've had, we had 38 adults, not counting children, in the home groups week before last. Last week, we had uh, 28, and that was two groups meeting. One of the groups did not meet last Sunday night. That was 28 adults, not counting the kids. We had more people in the home groups week before last than we did in the church service. That's probably going to be the case tonight, too. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Altogether, what we have is altogether, both here and in those homes, we have more people involved than we did before. That's good. That's good. I will tell you, I don't know how you feel about this. You may not like it. And it's not a, it's not a done deal. Let me just tell you this. But if the home groups really kicks off, see, our goal is to have 100 adults in a home group ministry in this church by May of 2014. We're going to have a whole lot more than three home groups, but our goal is to have 100 people as, as active parts of home groups by May of next year. And if we do that, we may phase out Sunday evening service. We will not phase out Sunday school. That is not going to happen. And we may end up not phasing out Sunday evening service, but that is on the table if the home groups takes off like we think it will. New unchurched people? N- none yet. But they've only met three of the groups. Two of the groups are meeting for the third time tonight. One of the groups is meeting for the second time tonight. But, I will tell you, in the group that we were in last Sunday night, after they finished their lesson, they began talking about a strategy for inviting their neighbors. And some were already in the process of inviting their neighbors to come. None yet would be the answer I would give for that. So it's all in an experimental stage. I've been long tonight. But I just want to convey to you Small group ministry within the larger church body is the direction in which we're headed. We expect our folks to do more than attend worship at Palmetto Baptist Church. Now, you already know that. You're here on Sunday night. That means you're committed to a lot of stuff. But folks who are only here for worship, they're not really here. Let's pray. We'll close in prayer. Let's all stand. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the, uh, the prime leader of small groups. You weren't against large, but you started small. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to find where you want us to go. It's not enough for us to go to the place where everybody else is going just because it works for them. It may not work for us. And it is in discernment, Lord, that we need, we need your guidance. Help us to know the direction you'd have us to go in. And I thank you for our people. I thank you for our church. Our church is, is, has a willingness to do what it takes to not only survive, but thrive. And this church, I believe, is willing to make hard decisions now to ensure that long after all of us in this room tonight are gone, Palmetto Baptist Church will still be a powerhouse in this area. That's my prayer, and I know it's the prayer of the folks who are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.